Welcome, everybody, to the Celebrity Hour podcast. I'm Brian Kluger, and we have an amazing show today. We have two legendary world heavyweight champions of artistry, writing in comic books. Oh, my Gord from Dallas, Texas. We got a returning champ, Jeremy Maggert. And all the way in Chicago, we've got Chuck. Satterly, welcome to the show. Thank you. You're, I like that. You're very welcome. I, you're very welcome. We'll, we'll get I, into I, pro wrestling a little later for sure, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think my family would introduce me like that, so thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You can use it later. But uh, before we get into comic books, your latest book that's coming out in a couple months called Monsters in Midways, like the movie, The Sound of Music, we've got to start at the very beginning. Jeremy is a returning champion. Everybody knows Jeremy on the show. But Chuck, where did it all begin in comic books with you? Did, was it something you picked up off the shelf at the local store? Or when, when did it all begin with you in comics? Um, well, uh, I'll be as concise as I can. I'm a writer. Therefore, it is hard. Um, but uh I, I grew up in Chicago and um, in Chicago, on the north side of Chicago, there is a corner called Western and Wilson. And, um, and when I was a little boy, my bedroom was literally on Western Avenue and it looked down on a comic book store called Variety Comics. That comic book store covered all of its large windows with huge wooden paintings of superheroes. And so I would look out my bedroom window, look down and I would see... Um, Captain America, Superman, Batman, um, all of them, the Hulk. And, um, you know, because I'm so freaking old, uh, some of those characters are only about, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, Spider-Man, for instance, uh, created in 63, and I'm talking 1973, so 10 years, uh, 10 years old. And uh, uh, they were exciting. They were amazing. And um, being an only child of a mother who is a single mother, uh, she was working all the time. So when I was home from school, there was nobody there. So I'd look out my bedroom window, look down on them. And then honestly, they would transport me to worlds. And, and uh, so I think I was, I think I had no choice um, from an early age. I was destined to always uh, be connected to, in some fashion, altruistic superheroes that would take me to places where uh, I was never able to go. Now, do you remember the first comic you picked up and actually read? Yeah, um, I, I, I really, really do. Um, uh, it, it, was, um, uh, it was Marvel, even though I'm technically a DC guy um, at heart. Uh, it, it was Marvel. Um, it was uh, Hulk. And um, gosh, I, I guess I'm lying. I don't remember the exact book, but I remember it was Hulk. And, uh, and I remember that the owner of the comic book store was a curmudgeon. And um, he hated, hated that I actually had like 50 cents or, or a dollar so I could literally buy stuff. So I had the right to be in there because uh, he would have had every he would have taken any opportunity he could to get me the hell out of there. Because I was like, uh, so what is this? What is this? What does this guy do? Wait, wait, wait. You know, and, um, you know, he, he I absolutely made him um, I gave him fits, uh, you know, so as you should, as you should. And. Was there a particular moment, Chuck, when you realized you were reading a book and you said to yourself, like an outer body experience, like, hey, I can do this. 
I yeah. could write. 16 years old. Um, Kruger Hall, Benedictine, or no, no, excuse me, um, excuse me, not, not, uh, not that, but um, 16 years old, bedroom, Glenview, Illinois, uh, Dark Knight Returns, um, and it was Frank Miller, uh, it was Two Faces uh, henchman going into the room, and he said, face, it was Batman, and um, Batman closes the door and closes in on the guy who's on crutches, and he says, um, and the bad guy goes, you can't hurt me, I got rights, and Batman says, you've got rights, lots of rights, sometimes I count them just to make myself feel crazy. But right now, you have a piece of glass shoved into a major artery in your arm. Right now, you're bleeding to death. And right now, I'm the only person in the world who can get you to a hospital in time. And that moment, I was done for. I had to make comic books because Frank Miller made it uh, so amazing for a 16-year-old. I was like, I, I got to do this. I I have spent the next you know, 30 um, 30 something odd years trying to be in like even one infinitesimally uh, bit as amazing as Frank Miller is. Uh, but, um, you know, that's the, that's, that's the effort to strive to, but yeah, that was the moment. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Oh, Frank Miller. It's so good. And, and Jeremy, you know, I want to yes. go to you with the, mm -hmm. the, the artist style. I mean, I've known Jeremy since, you were 10 maybe, and I was five or six. Something and, around there. Yeah, something around there. And so I know you've always been into comics and music. So this is just like this this new comic book, Monsters and Midway, is like the perfect like tag team of awesomeness all you know in your wheelhouse. But if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, but was it X-Men or Spawn that really got you into the comic book world? Um, well, I mean, it kind of depends timing wise. I mean, the first thing that got me into comics at a young age was Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. And that was a combination of like the cartoon Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And also like we would go to the mall and there would be like the Walden books. And so we would get comics there. And I don't know if I chose them or they were picked out for me, but frequently what I would come home with is a Spider-Man comic in that regard. Um, so there's that, but then in, I, you know, I kind of got away from reading them, you know, but then in high school, when I wanted to start, I wanted to start learning how to draw people. I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll go get some comic books. Cause that's probably a great way to learn to draw people, which it is not, but uh, that's what I did. <laughs> and it was funny because I went and just, I was like, oh, I, I'll, I like Wolverine. I'll get some Wolverine comics. And I picked up as it would happen to work out. And I don't know if it was new at the time or where if I just got it out of a Wolverine bin, but there was Wolverine 75. And it was the issue basically like right after he had lost his adamantium. And I had no clue what was going on but it was drawn by Adam Kubert. And I remember that was the first time looking at a comic book that I could look at art and recognize that not all artists were of equal skill level is that I guess a nice way to put that. And that Adam Kubert was clearly 
way better than a lot of other people. And that was kind of a moment where I really got hooked on comics in terms of like wanting to draw them was, was seeing his art in that book. And there's like a moment towards the end where he's like sitting on the ground outside with Jubilee and they're like just having a conversation and just the whole thing is just so beautifully illustrated. Just love that scene so much. Oh, that's okay. I, I like that a lot. Uh, was there, so was it that book, that Wolverine book that you were like, Hmm, I'm going to start drawing. Yeah. That, that one kind of got me on the, got me beginning on the path of drawn comics. And then, you know, you had other things uh, that I started to kind of get into around that time. And that's when like spawn comes into play. And then you start, I start discovering like Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo and just all these amazing artists that were kind of like my next step kind of deeper into it after like that, that kind of like Adam Kubert run on Wolverine. And how did you figure out that you had this talent to illustrate, to draw? Um, I don't know if I really felt like I had a talent for it as much as I just liked to do it. You know, you had mentioned like music and in truth between guitar playing and the comic art, I felt like uh, in terms of natural talent, I had much more natural music talent. But uh, the benefit is that I'm, you know, I don't really I'm not a guy that has hobbies, you know. So when I start doing something, you know, it's. It's with uh, <laughs> it's with a great degree of intensity and focus. So, you know, like I always make the joke, you know, I've like I don't play golf, you know, or start doing things like that, because if I started playing golf in a year and a half, I would be like semi-professional and massively obsessed, you know. <laughs> so, you know, I just the, the, the comic stuff, I feel like comes out of less of like a natural talent and more of just like a lot of honed like focus and practice. All right. All right. I like that. And Chuck, your resume of comics is pretty great. Uh, Kong, King of Skull Island, Bitter, of Bitter Souls, Heretic, Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, how, how did you first get into the business? Well, I knew I wanted to make comic books. Um, it was in the 90s, I was in my 20s, and you know, it was a different world um, back then. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning the new world uh, right now, but back then, um, you know, the only way you could find an artist uh, to work with, because as Jeremy will, I'm sure, tell you, I have no skills at all art wise. Um, I can't even tell you what a good, what a good color pages I, I can't um but uh back then the only way you could do it is by going to conventions and um having no fear to go up to people and introduce yourself and talk to them uh and um so at, at a chicago convention in like 93 94 i met an artist named ron stern and we had an idea um and uh he had an idea uh, excuse me and um and I liked it and he wanted a writer and I wanted an artist. Uh, he lived in Richmond, Virginia. He was in Chicago for the show and, and we decided to work together. And then we, um, we used, we used fax machines. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. We, uh, we used fax machines and, and what have you. And, um, and uh, we put together a comic book called Agony Acres. Uh, and um, we, 
uh, back then, um, you know, we sent out uh, Xerox ash cans from uh, Kinko's, which then became FedEx Kinko's, which just became FedEx. Uh, and um, we sent those ash cans, uh, put ourselves in like thousands of dollars of debt, sending them through UPS and FedEx to every comic book store, comic book creator, and movie production and television production company to get blurbs and such. Um, and uh, then we solicited through Diamond um, and uh, did our own thing and made it. Uh, we, we, we willed ourselves to actually make a comic book that was called Agony Acres. That was the first one. And then not a lot after that, uh, but 10 years later, uh, I had developed a relationship with Norm Brayfogel. And um, I had this idea for, I, I don't want to get too, too far into it, but I submitted, uh, I, I, I met a lot of people, but I, I submitted a idea for um, back when they were doing the ultimate books, ultimate, um, ultimate Spider-Man, ultimate, ultimate this, ultimate X-Men. I submitted an idea for ultimate Dr. Strange, which had Dr. Strange um, as a um, Haitian Creole um, kind of voodoo uh, dude uh, living in the garden district of new orleans i was fascinated with new orleans and um it turned into a bitter souls and i had sent an email uh to norm uh saying hey i got this idea i know you're norm brayfogle and all but do you want to do it with me and he he sent back an email that said love it yes and i was like <laughs> holy crap yeah. holy shit you know and uh and, and so we uh, we submitted that, and then I submitted another book, uh, Smoke and Mirror, to um, Speakeasy Comics, uh, which um, they accepted both. To I was, as far as submissions go, I was like over oh, 400 by that point, um, and then I went two for two with one publisher. So uh, that's what led to, so Agony Anchors led to Smoke and Mirror and Bitter Souls, which led to some of the stuff with Marcosia. And then I ended up doing another book with Phil Hester called 13 Steps um, about a werewolf with bloodlust issues who enters into a self-help program for monsters drawn by uh, the um, amazing Kevin Mellon. Um, he, he's just fantastic. Um, that's it. Um, that's awesome. That, that's so cool. Uh, and then this, this is all led to this new book that's coming out, Monsters and Midways, which is kind of like what it seems like uh, you know, music, heavy metal, elves, monsters, violence in Chicago. I mean, it sounds like the perfect role-playing game and TV series to be made on HBO. But Jeremy, Monsters and Midways, how did Monsters and Midways come about? How did you uh, meet Chuck? How, how did this happen? Uh, Chuck and I met on the interwebs. And um, <clears throat> I think I had... It was funny because I was I did a little drawing where I was practicing like color and just some buildings and stuff like that. And I did it and I completed it. And at the last second, I was like, I'm just going to throw Batman in the background, super tiny. Right. Just hanging off the building with his cape blowing. And I was like, I'll just do it for fun. It'll be funny. And so I threw it in there and I posted it. And it was funny because usually like I'm a little bit of a multitasker. And so I posted it. And then usually what I do is I post something and then I just go and whatever, you know, like get on Twitter and like talk to people and share things I like and, you know, that kind of stuff. And I happened to interact with somebody and I think, uh, I think it was Phil Hester and Chuck saw, uh, 
Chuck ended up seeing that Batman drawing, and that's kind of how we met is through that uh, that little piece that just happened to end up having Batman on it. Chuck, did you notice the Batman in the background? That's all I noticed. Um, <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't mean I don't mean that to be because that that actually is not. Um, that doesn't do justice to a piece that Jeremy looks at as practice that I look at as masterful. Uh, I saw it and I was like, this is just, this is gorgeous. I mean, um, this is the kind of artist that I would love to work with. I, I, and I thought to myself, I don't know if he has sequential chops or not, because you can see a million artists post one picture, right. Or two or even five, but if they, but they can't tell a story, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that, it's fact some some artists just can't tell a story um you know and since i i, I think uh, i i don't exactly remember how phil was involved i guess you guys were but anyway i you know i've known phil for a long time um phil hester is one of the greatest people in comics um and i'm talking about not not just artists i i love phil hester art and i have everything he's ever done in my library um uh, but he is also one of the greatest people in comics, um, period. But I said, hey, Phil, what do you think of this guy? And Because uh, I'm thinking about getting back into comics because I had been away for a while. And this is still a year before Monsters and Midways. And um, he goes, he's, he's got it. And I was like, oh, that's all I need to know. Uh, and I contacted Jeremy and uh, um, about a different book called Cloud Nine long story but uh, then COVID kind of kicked in and you know nothing happened and I, I we didn't really talk that much um and, and and but I knew in my head I'm like I I need to work with Jeremy Meckert because uh I, I I liked him um he's a he's a good person um not trying to say that because you're right here he, he truly you've known him your whole <laughs> life I'm not kidding uh I um, Jeremy Megger is a good person and he's a fantastic artist. And I knew that if I did something, I wanted to do it with Jeremy. Um, if, if it was possible, uh, that led to, um, getting super bored in COVID, uh, my business, um, in, in my, in my, in my other world, I am a, um, I am an insurance guy who does enrollments for benefits, but, uh, uh, I, that was not happening. You can't meet with people in person during a worldwide pandemic so i got really super bored and um and i thought you know what maybe it's time to make comics again that is that's impressive and so monsters and midways is how did that inception start and when did you two really start collaborating on this and realize like holy shit we have something here that is a funny story um because <laughs> I, I i will be okay so you're in Okay, you're a, you're a you're a movie critic. Um, Jeremy's a musician and a comic book artist, and I'm a comic book creator writer. And I think that we can all agree that when you do something creative, everybody in your life who doesn't do that creative thing says to Jeremy, "You know, what would make a good song," or "You know, what would be a good kind," or to you, "You know, what would be a good movie," and they tell you, and I mean no offense to any of my friends or family who if they watch this uh but normally that they, 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 those ideas are awful they're terrible uh they wow are they bad uh you know and so my neighbor and friend um nick goodwin co-creator monsters midwich said to me one day you know i'd make a good comic and i went into immediately my my mental defenses of 
how do I tell him this sucks without being, you know, mean or, you know, it, but he started going off and he started explaining this whole world that he had in his head. You know, it wasn't a story yet. It was just an idea, just a seed. But I, I was like, well, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> this isn't that bad of an idea, you know, and, uh, you know, it, it's going to take some work and, and some, some tweaking, you know, and, you know, I kind of filed it away. And then when I got bored, like I explained before, I called Nick and I was like, you want to make a comic? That's not a bad idea, but I need to write it because you don't know what you're doing. And and I Nick will agree. I think Jeremy will agree that Nick would agree that um, that's the case. But we worked on it together. And I and then when we were thinking about an artist, I was like, oh, we don't have to look very far. I already know the guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to call him and I'm going to ask him. I'm going to apologize if we haven't been in touch for a year. And I'm going to ask him. And that was when I contacted Jeremy because um i absolutely knew that you know i wanted to work with him um if you if you get to see jeremy's work you're going to know that um and i mean this sincerely every single publisher that who who may have passed on after not look after looking at his stuff is um you know an idiot <laughs> so so jeremy basically i feel like you know knowing you for so long monsters and midways is a story of you guitar player fighting monsters and whatnot is this true <laughs> that's not a bad angle to take um, <laughs> dave, dave is a lot different than i am though that's for sure the main character dave him and i are very very different so when you came aboard this story to write the art, have you used any of your past moments playing guitar on stage or in the music biz world? Because you've released, you know, albums, you've released all that. Is there anything you put of yourself into Monsters and Midways? Uh, not, not yet really with that. There's only been kind of one moment that we've had where it's specifically been like Dave on stage, you know, but the benefit is that I have in, in that area is that, you know, when when Dave's on stage, you know, and I had to like, you know, basically create the inside of the club, like, you know, like I know, you know, what amps are going to be on the stage without having to do a lot of research, like all of that I can keep, you know, fairly historically accurate. I know like what amps he'd have up there. I know how tall they are in relation to the other people on the stage and the drum riser and you know, so that definitely was was kind of fun to get to uh, to draw that, you know, and then, you know, he's got a there's a scene where he walks out into his living room and one of the first uh, few early in the book. And, you know, he comes out, he just woke up and he's got like a flying V laying on the couch, you know, and so that was fun to draw, too. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So, Chuck. Uh, Monsters and Midways. It might sound familiar to a few people, especially in the Chicago area. Can you talk to me about a little bit of what Monsters and Midways has to do with Chicago Bears? <laughs> well, um, so yeah, we're a football family and um, uh, the name Monsters and Midways is um, reminiscent of the Chicago Bears nickname, the Monsters of the Midway. Um, the Chicago Bears used to play uh, a long time ago um, uh, near Ch University, uh, or um, uh, it, it has to do, the Midway has to do actually with the University of Chicago, which is in Hyde Park in Chicago. Um, there's a, a literal area called the Midway, and um, uh, that's where you get the Midway from uh, in, in Monsters of the Midway. Monsters meaning they're tough 
uh, uh, tough dudes. Uh, you wouldn't know that by their record as of late and Matt Nagy being fired literally yesterday. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a play on words uh, because it takes place in Chicago, hence the Midway. Um, and there are monsters in it. Uh, that's kind of the end of it. Um, Jeremy uh, was nice enough to throw Soldier Field in the background of um, of uh, the first issue's cover, and there will be um, there will be a battle there in Soldier Field at some point. But uh, it's just a Chicago reference because it takes place in Chicago. The funny thing is is that the main story takes place in '76 Chicago, but the series bounces around. I I, I think to Jeremy's pleasure, perhaps not. Uh, <laughs> it bounces around from different time periods and locations throughout history uh, and made up history. Um, Merlin and 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 um, and Arthur, uh, Pompeii, um, Salem witch trials, Vietnam War. Uh, there's tons of stuff in there, but it, it the main crux of the story is 70, 1976 Chicago. That's cool. That's cool, and you know writing i guess in these different time periods does that do you draw inspiration from other places when you go into different time periods yes and no uh yes um i, I mean this this story itself um i think calls for you know uh, you know these, these these wizards are I mean, think Highlander. Um, you know, they're they're immortal unless they're unless they're killed. Uh, you know, they they if they're not murdered, they're going to live forever. Um, and because they've been around such a long time, we get to play with that. Uh, you know, by having different um, periods and uh, working it into like um, in in the time of Arthur, uh, our wizards are Morgan and Mor Merlin and Morgana. Um, in uh, we have them show up in the Salem witch trials, uh, anywhere there where there's magic. Um, we, we also, in the world of monsters and midways, there's dark magic that seeps from the earth and are sealed by, um, the elves, uh, the elves are masters at sealing this dark magic seeping out. The dark magic mutates animals into monsters. It, it creates havoc and, and is responsible for, um, is responsible for uh, earth-shaking events and all of the monsters that are mythical. Uh, Loch Ness Monster, result of dark magic, the abominable snowman, Bigfoot, they're all uh, dark magic um, mutated animals and, uh, and, and in our world. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're inspired by um, different world events uh, and, and it's a challenge to work the magic and in, in, in weave, interweave uh, the monsters in Midway's world into that to explain all of these other actual, um, well, some actual events and some mythic events and mythic animals. Ooh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, Jeremy being the artist for this book, so many people nowadays, especially with the MCU out there and other things, uh, a big part of this entertainment in this art is our Easter eggs. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine, you know, just like we talked about earlier, you did a little Easter egg Batman in the middle of the, of the cityscape and this taking place in Chicago and in different parts of history and literature. 
how many Easter eggs are you excited to draw and illustrate in this story of the monsters in Midway? There are going to be a ton of Chicago related Easter eggs. Um, I had like, there was a while where I was actually keeping track of the ones that we were doing. But at this point, I, we have so many in there that I, I, I can't even, I, I couldn't even tell you how many are in there. And at this point, I'm probably like an issue and a half into it. And there's so many that I've lost track, you know, and like, We've got awesome ones, you know, like, you know, uh, which I guess I'll list some of them, but like there's like Blues Brothers show up in there, you know, just like tucked into the background, you know, because obviously. That text, tell them about that text you sent me where you said, do you see it? And it was literally. <laughs> and I thought it was the bus. Uh, oh, yeah. This one I was really proud of because I had to draw a dude about to walk into like uh, like the mayor's office. And I needed to have a, like some cars and stuff behind them, you know, for some depth and have a little bit of stuff in the background. And I was like, I needed a car that I felt like was synonymous with the city of Chicago. And so this takes this, I think this page takes place in 1963. And I was like, I have to look this up, but I drew the Ferrari from Ferris Bueller's. <laughs> day off that, the that, gt california that, yes that that cameron's dad owned because i was like it takes place in chicago so it could in theory still be in chicago in the 60s and maybe that car has been there its whole life or whatever but i was like I, I was like oh but i need to look this up because we cannot back to the future this where marty mcfly is in 1955 playing a guitar that doesn't come out until 1958 <laughs> like i'm not having that like we're not doing that like it's got to be like it's it's got a, you know, chronologically fit, and I looked it up, and the car was a, a 1961. So I was like, perfect, it works, it's going in. Oh, that's amazing! So you've got John Hughes, you've got John Landis, Blues mm -hmm. Brothers, and oh, so many more. It's and you know, Chuck, do you get to write these these Easter eggs, or does Jeremy get to draw them in the background and do his own thing with it? I wrote one, then created the monster. Uh, I, I, I said, hey, come on the Blues Brothers. That'd be nice. And then he just like, well, I'm going to throw in the Blues Brothers and literally everything else. I I, I, I only challenged Jeremy at this point. I, I openly and publicly challenged Jeremy to include a kitchen sink of value somewhere in Monsters <laughs> and Midways, but it has to be a kitchen sink that is um, like uh, – been prominently uh, um, featured in some Chicago uh, movie or book or story, uh, you know, somehow, some way, you know, okay. I will say, I will say though that I do intend uh, to at some point include a reference, even though it was prior uh, through, you know, to, to H.H. H. Mencken, um, you know, the world's first super serial killer, uh, you know, stuff like that. But uh but no, Jeremy pretty much does that. I think it's part of the fun um, uh, for for Jeremy. Um, you know, uh, it. You know, I I would like to. I don't know if you're going to go into it, but I would like to talk about that. Um, he is so great to work with because, uh, you know, there, I'm working with a few artists right now. Um, one of them is Neil Van Antwerp, and I'm on another book on Older Gods. But it, Jeremy is so anticipatory. Um, you know. He, he has a great sense of page design. And so I'll, I'll write a page um, and, you know, 
in the past, if an artist, even Norm, uh, if he made a change, I'd be like a little bit nervous. Uh, and, and, but um, man, Jeremy, I, I'm not nervous. I just look forward to seeing what he comes up with from my script page. Um, it is a absolute uh, sincere joy to see the pages when they come in. Yeah, Jeremy, how does that process work? Do you kind of storyboard like the page first or do you just like, do you plan it out or do you just start um, drawing and then does it takes place from there? There are, a, there's a lot of planning out with this book. There's more planning out with this book than anything I've ever done. And it's, it's a couple things. One, it's because this book takes place in so many specific areas, right? And there's so many historical details that, that this book is more labor intensive, I think, than anything else I've ever drawn. But also, like, I usually use a lot of photo reference anyway, but this book is like a mountain of photo ref. My phone is like full of just, you know, not only, you know, do I pose for a lot of the pictures myself for the stuff that you see in the book, but, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's like, but it's not that you fault you, but like, so for example, like there's a scene where we have soldiers in a Vietnam jungle walking at night in the rain. Right. But like, I want to make sure that their uniforms are as accurate as I can possibly get them, you know, withdrawing them a little further away, you know, cause I have to show the jungle and the night and the rain. Right. So we're not in super close. So the important deed is not their uniforms. It's everything going on, but I want to make sure that the helmets are right. I want to make sure that the uniforms are right, that the weapons are as era specific as I can get them. You know, so you have a lot of stuff like that, that, um, that kind of makes it, but also like there's things that I'm really trying in this book to bring a ton of like dynamics and like just energy and on these pages. And so the layouts, I spend a lot of time. I there's pages where I've spent almost as much time just on the layout itself as the actual drawing of the page and just making sure that I've got like the information is all there so that the reader can like just look at it and understand, but also like present it in a way that's just super exciting and just really leaps off the page. Cause that's, you know, we mentioned like spawn and things like that. I want people to like the way I, I responded very emotionally, like, like just when I would read Spawn and see those like McFarland pages and the Capullo pages and the two of them together, like those, like those, that art just for me exploded off the page. And I, I want people to feel the same way when they read Monsters and Midways. I want them to have that, that feeling that I got enjoying Spawn, you know. That's awesome. And so how excited are you when a new page comes in from Chuck to you to, to, to illustrate? Oh, no, I love it. I mean, the nice thing is Chuck gives me whole scripts, you know, so I can read, I can read this, I can read, um, you know, he'll give me a synopsis of an issue, but then like, I'll get the whole script. And so I can sit there and kind of go through scripts and scripts reading is always really, it's that's funny. It's really hard for me because as soon as I get the script, the second I like start reading like one page and I'm going through it, it's hard for me just to kind of read a script top to bottom because I'm immediately like I'm already processing it like visually and my brain just immediately wants to go read one page and then do the layout, read one page and do a layout rather than just kind of like reading through all of it, which is definitely the better way to do it. Awesome. 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 And the same goes for you, Chuck. 
how excited are you when you finally see your words transform into images from Jeremy? That's writer's Christmas. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I get to celebrate writer's Christmas all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, and that, that it, it is especially fun with, um, with Jeremy. Uh, you know, whenever I start a book, and, you know, it hasn't been a million books. I'm, you know, I'm I, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, I, I'm not the most published person in the world, but I am fairly published. And um, I'll typically, and I hope uh, Jeremy sees this as the compliment it is. Um, if I finish a, a series where my scripts are as fat as they were on issue one at the last issue, um, it's because I um, wasn't feeling comfortable. Um, and, uh and so I keep in ridiculously long um, panel descriptions, you know, and, um, you know, where I'm, where I'm talking about the angle of the, uh, of the shot or the, or the, or the, is this a bird's eye view or a worm's eye view, or is this a medium close-up or extreme close-up or, you know, um, but if my scripts are like half the uh, pages that they were on issue one, um, it's because uh, I have complete trust and faith that the guy that I'm working with, or excuse me, the person with whom I'm working, um, uh, uh, is uh, they just they just you know I trust them you know and um, I can tell you without a doubt that um, you know issue uh, five script will be uh, half the, half the, um, the 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 pages that issue one was in Monsters in Midway. Um, for instance, with Norm Brayfogle, uh, there was a scene in issue six, which was the last issue of the first volume, um, where I simply, and maybe, maybe he wanted to punch me in the face for this, but uh, where I simply wrote, hey, Norm, they fight for eight pages. Have fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, uh, uh, he actually, I'm kidding, he loved it because he put in whatever he wanted and he loved doing that. Um, but uh, that's the kind of relationship that I um, I feel uh, maybe Jeremy can confirm it or not, but I feel that Jeremy and I are coming um, very quickly to where I can just say, you know, uh, I can almost get to the point, I think, by the next issue where I can say this happens on this page um, and Jeremy can um, I, I won't go that 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 vague, but, uh, you know, where I can just trust that Jeremy will draw what I'm trying to say, you know, um, and uh, I, I, um, I love those collaborations. Yeah, and you know, and I, I agree. And I feel like one of the the ways that that Chuck and I have a lot of trust in that is that you know when he gives me a script or a page, you know, if if I you know if I make changes, I'm not usually changing what he has on the page. And that's one thing I'm always very particular about when I work with writers, like. If I make, if I, if I change something, it's less of a change. And I try to like, I try to add something, you know, that, 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 that can enhance. But also the thing I, that I'm very respectful of is that I'll never change is, you know, like when you look at what, what's on the page and it's written is I don't change the information, right? The idea that he has is there, you know, the sequences are all there. The actions are all there. So I don't, I don't change that you know, I'm always very respectful of like what, what the intention going into it is, you know. All right. So you're saying like, there's kind of like a, the force between you two, you can, yes. you, you know what you're doing. All right. All right. Well, 
you know, Jeremy's right. Um, when when he finishes an issue of Monsters and Midways, the story hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is that the storytelling is better. Um, you know, uh, he hasn't changed the story. He just it, what he does is he enhances the storytelling, um, and and uh, and that's important because every time he makes a change, it's just it's just better now. Um, you know, uh, I'm not an artist. Uh, I don't claim to be. And a true collaborative effort in a comic book is a collaboration between a number of different people, colorist, penciler, inker, in our case, the same person, writer, letterer, you know? And um, if every uh, part of that collaboration has the goal of making it better, um, that's great. Uh, you know, so it, I'm simply putting out a skeleton, you know? Um, Jeremy's adding uh, muscle and tissue, you know? Um, the colorist is adding um you know color and 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 in 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 depth and body and uh you know the letterer um you know you have to you know lettering is so important um you know back to football for a moment lettering is uh like the offensive lineman of a football team if a if a if an offensive lineman is doing their job right you never literally hear their name because you don't notice because the uh the quarterback hasn't been sacked or, or the, you know, the, there's good pass protection or run blocking. Uh, it's only when a court, only when a lineman sucks, uh, when you hear their name, you know, right. uh, and those poor letterers, uh, the, the, you know, they, they, they can make or break a comic. We speaking of spawn, right, Jeremy, mm -hmm. <laughs> we happen to have the goat of all letterers in the world. On that the we do. Oh my gosh. That's impressive. Yeah, I, I saw that. I just think that is super cool that y'all got the letter of Spawn and many others uh, to do Thanks Monsters in Midway. Past. Yeah. Um, Tom Orzakowski, uh, the literal world record holder for lettering. I mean, that's not it's not hyperbole. It's true. He is in the book of he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for his run on Spawn. He has lettered every page of every Spawn book. That's crazy. That's so cool. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, so with Monsters and Midways, the book that the issues are coming out in April, but you have started this amazing Kickstarter campaign and for a hardcover book. And so I'm a sucker for oversized hardcover editions. I'm a sucker for coffee table books. I'm a sucker for big art. And this Kickstarter is exactly for that, correct? Yeah. Do you want to talk about it, Jeremy? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean that's what we we wanted uh, because we wanted to have. We knew we were going to have the the you know the the floppy books basically hitting comic shops in April, and then it, you know you'll have one of those a month, and then a trade like a soft cover trade. But we really wanted to make something because we know that there's like you know, there's the, the comic shop audience, but then there's also the audience people that are, you know, in, you know, that just want the hardcover. They, they like the nice fancy books and, you know, I'm one of them too. I don't have a whole lot of them, but the ones I have, I just, I love so much. And we really wanted to make, you know, a product that was, that was for those people as well too. So they, you know, they don't kind of feel left behind and they can have like, you know, if you want the stuff, you want the books, you like the single issues, cool. If you like a soft cover, we'll have that. You know, we just wanted to have something for everybody. 
We also didn't want to infringe on our publisher. Um, mm. Our publisher is Second Sight Publishing. Uh, and they're a small publisher up and coming. Um, one of the few black owned um, comic book publishers in the nation. And, um, uh, you know, they're doing everything they can to put out good product uh, in retail stores. And we didn't want to infringe on their effort. So uh, this is the, um, you know, the this is the DVD with all the extras, um, you know, the commentary and all that. Uh, this book will include all of the stories, uh, all of the pages of story. It'll also have an incredible uh, cover gallery, but it's also going to have all of Jeremy's like character design sketches when we started. Um, it's going to have script pages and notes. Uh, Nick and my uh, Nick Goodwin and my notes from when we were developing the story, the handwritten stuff. Um, it'll have uh, all that in this book, you know, um, and uh, that that won't be in the trade paperback. Um, the trade paperback will be the story. You know, um, this is going to be all the extras, um, everything. Yeah. So basically, this is the Criterion Collection of Monsters and Midways all in one. I'm very excited about this, folks. Yes. I have I have purchased I have done the Kickstarter for this. I highly suggest you do. You can click that link in the video and on this show. Uh, yeah, do it. I mean, this is this is what all the art books are about, and you getting this hardcover. I'm super excited about this. Thank you. Um, yes. We are as well. Uh, this is uh, both Jeremy and my first Kickstarter. I'm I you know I apologize in advance to. J Jeremy and my and, and, and Nick for any rookie mistakes that I make in this Kickstarter, but uh, we're doing everything we possibly can to make it a, a successful Kickstarter, um, you know, uh, and um, we uh, we promise that this Kickstarter will be of the quality that um, is is deserving of the price, um, you know, uh, but there are other options available. You can get the digital format um, or you can, uh, in this Kickstarter, you can also get the subscription service. If you just want to sign up to have us send you the, the floppies, we could do that too. So that it's very, it fits any budget. That's super cool. That's super cool. Um, so I have like a serious question for you, Chuck. You mind? Okay. Um, why is uh, the 1933 version of King Kong one of the best movies ever made? Wow. Um, I, okay. Well, I'm, I'm in a small group of people who have actually written King Kong um, in comics and movies. Uh, True. I think there's less of us than there have been the American presidents. Um, uh, I, I, the animation um, for back then. Uh, I mean, um, that I liken that to being six years old and walking in uh, the 1933 uh, Kong I, I, I feel like the people who walked into a theater and watched that felt like I did when I saw Christopher Reeve fly as Superman. Um, uh, the, 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 the special effects in that movie for the time were um, mind boggling uh, and, and innovative, I, I believe. I mean, um, and, and I feel like that, uh, I feel like the, the, same, the same feeling is probably what I had when I saw Christopher Reeve flying. No, that's is that, a, is that a good answer? That's a great answer. It's a great answer. I, King Kong is what I have two favorite movies of all time, and one of them is 1933 King Kong. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, 
I do love it. And then Jeremy, another a serious question for you now. Fire away. So who is the most important character in Star Wars ever and why? Oh, ever and why? I mean, I think you probably, my favorite, I don't know, but I probably would say. The most important, probably, the most important character. I would probably put the most important overall at Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker. And, and why, why is that? Uh, I feel like the whole thing at the end of the day revolves around Anakin slash Darth Vader. Everything, everything is about like, you know, him becoming a Jedi. It revolves around, you know, him betraying the Jedi, him becoming Darth Vader, you know, his eventual like redemption. And even when you go into, uh, you know, like the most recent trilogy, still everything comes back to Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. That's impressive. Sorry, I got the dog barking in the back. The, the dog bell went off. All good. So she's good. Um, give it a second. <laughs> she's funny. <laughs> I, I think it, it's, it's deliveries, probably movies and swag or something. But dog, what you doing? You tell him hello? All right. All right. Um, so to round this out, uh, I got to ask both of you, I'll start with Chuck. Are there any particular scenes or moments in comic books that have always stuck with you over the years? Moments, particular scenes in comic books that you wake up and you're like, fuck, that, that story, that little moment was so good and inspires you in your creative life. Uh, kind of coincides with um, creators I like. Um, I already talked about the Dark Knight moment. Um, uh, I would uh, I would argue that one of the times when I thought art could be uh, art didn't have to be um, Neil Adams and 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 John Buscema and Jack Kirby when I first saw um, when I first saw um, Phil Hester's Swamp Thing um, back in the day. Uh, that opened up my eyes to a different world. Um, Bendis and Oming's powers uh, just, to me, is a seminal moment in indie comics um, uh, storytelling. Uh, um, Tim Seeley's Hack Slash, uh, um, you know, uh, um, one of the things that I felt um, as far as the business of comics uh, the creation of image, um, Casada and Pamiati's event comics, um, all of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, but a seminal, one other seminal moment in storytelling uh, in the comic book world, um, I absolutely loved George Perez and Peter David's uh, Hulk Future, uh, um, Imperfect with Maestro. And, and that was just a, what, a neat, what a great idea of, of um, taking a character that isn't terribly um, known for having like awesome stories. Uh, I, it, the Hulk, don't get me wrong, the Hulk is Hulk, but um, the, uh, that story um, was um, fantastic, you know. Uh, um, and then I and then I would say um, Brian Augustine's uh, Gotham by Gaslight, when it, that gave rise to the whole idea of Elseworlds, and I would argue. Um, created this the way for Ultimates even 
um, taking these characters and putting them in different places, you know, uh, I guess what if uh, as well, but um, that and then perhaps Mark Wade, um, um, Kingdom Come and uh, Kurt Busiek, oh, both Alex Ross, of course, uh, 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 Marvels. Oh, man, those are some fantastic moments. You 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 done your research, haven't you? <laughs> no, I I simply lived. I'm too old. Uh, you know, um, I'm I'm you know I, I'm in, I'm fifty uh, one, and uh, uh, I've been reading comics like I said since Variety Comics, nineteen seventy something, Chicago Western and Wilson. You know, it's incredible, so, incredible. Uh, same question to you, Jeremy. So in, in terms of kind of like a single moment for me in, in a comic, you know, there's, you know, and, and you know, Phil, we, we talked about Phil Hester and Phil for me is one of, and just, a, a, and this has nothing to do with just like a side, because I mean, there's so many different styles and, you know, and approaches, but Phil is just to me, one of the absolute best storytellers in all of comics and you know chuck talked about you know some people just are really good at telling stories and phil is in my opinion like top of the mountain on that and there's a scene in um he did a green arrow book and he uh, it was the one that he did with kevin smith and there's a scene in there when uh you know you know oliver is been all of a sudden you know he was dead and so all of a sudden he's back in the world and nobody really seems to understand why or what's going on and it hasn't been explained yet and there's a scene in the book when where roy is you know reminiscing on you know oliver training him and there's and so one of the things that he's doing is the way that oliver is training roy is oliver has turned on a little faucet outside and it's slowly dripping water and he's teaching Roy timing and when to pick your moment. And he's doing that by having him shoot the arrow and try to hit a drop of water as it falls out of the faucet. And Phil just nailed the entire moment. And it like really shows you like, there's so much that you can do on a comic page with, with, you know, your, how much you can control the flow of time. Right. And I feel like, there's not really another medium that you can do that outside of comics in terms of like really having controlling, like how the reader perceives time. And when Phil did that and I read it, I was like, Oh man, it was just, it was so good. And it was just really drove home my love for like wanting to tell stories specifically in like the medium of comics. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Scott McCloud talks about that you know um the the gutters you know um mm -hmm. the relationship the relationship between even more so like in a movie a a um the the creators of a mo the movie creators the, the the filmmakers show every single picture every single one to the to the audience because it's it, it that too is sequential art you know um those are a number of pictures that are told in order to tell a story right but in the comic book world is, is you know, to, to jump on Jeremy's point, um, it's, such an in a, it's such an intimate relationship between the comic book creators and the audience because we depend on our storytelling skills to work in conjunction with the reader because we need them to not just understand like, like 
Phil's moment with the with the drips or, or what Jeremy does on a monsters page, uh, but also to jump from one panel to the next panel and know and, and automatically assume what happened in the time period, whether it's a, a fraction of a second in that gutter between panels, or if it's 50,000 years um, in the time panel between those, or in the gutter between those two panels. So that's why comic books are so um, fan, fantastic and fun and, and intimate between the creator and the reader. It's amazing. That's amazing. Oh my goodness. I've had so much fun today. The spotlight is on you both now. Please tell our viewers and listeners where they can find you online, where they can find Monsters and Midways online and the Kickstarter. Oh, well, you can find me, Jeremy Megert's Arts, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we have links. I've got links to the Kickstarter uh, all over both of those pages. And yeah, that's pretty much uh, where I am found mostly on the interwebs. Um, on Twitter, I'm at Comics Chuck. Uh, I, I, I have to up my Instagram game. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, but you can also find us and in, 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 in links to everything at because um, we are part of a loosely knit studio. But that website is Defective Comics. Uh, spelled C-O-M-I-X, so defectivecomics.com. And um, you, can, uh, you, can, you can go there as well. Um, all of our projects are on there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Visit that Kickstarter, folks. And I can't wait for you all to read Monsters and Midways. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Yes. Uh, we appreciate your hospitality. Thank you for having us. Absolutely.